Hello everyone, I'm Mark Cooper and welcome to the latest episode in our Rethink Energy podcast series. And today's topic is a big one. The European Union is committed to becoming the first climate neutral continent by 2050. And on the road there, EU leaders agreed last year to cut greenhouse gases by 55% by 2030. And in achieving those targets, the renewable transition is absolutely crucial. And as part of our post-COVID recovery and the European Green Deal's drive towards climate neutrality, solar is an ideal technology to help us get there. Today, it's the most versatile and affordable energy source in history. The European solar sector has already demonstrated its immense growth potential, resilience to drive long-term sustainable growth, and in the process, create millions of jobs and make a major contribution to the European economy. But, and it's a big but, as we stand today, the renewable transition is not happening at anything like the pace needed, and many would argue current targets do not go far enough. Across Europe and the globe, if we are to get on track to 1.5 degrees and avert catastrophic climate change, we must see the pace of the transition increase significantly. To join me to discuss this and share her views on what must happen to ensure Europe gets on track, I'm very pleased to be joined by Valberger Hemmetsberger, CEO of Solar Power Europe. Valberger, hello and a very warm welcome to you. Hello, and thanks for having me. It's really a big pleasure being part of your podcast, and I'm very looking forward to our conversation today. Thanks very much, Frau Burke. I'm very pleased you could make the time to join us. Um, I always like to start with a nice, easy question, and today is no exception. Over the last 12, 18 months, we have heard, heard a growing consistency, shall we say, of language. The European Commission has called it the make-or-break decade, President Biden has called it the decisive decade. At your own recent solar power summit, you called it the electric decade. And at Biva RE, we named it the decade that matters. Different terms, but one clear call to action. Uh, why is it so important to focus on this upcoming decade when it comes to the energy transition, especially within Europe? Thanks very much. And that's indeed an easy one. And you have to stop it because I can go on forever on such questions. <laughs> some point, this decade is indeed a defining decade for climate action. I couldn't agree more. And you know that the UN has warned us that we only have nine years left to, to limit the dangerous effects of climate change. So where do we, where do we stand today in Europe? As you know, around 25% of CO2 emissions come from the energy sector. And 85% of this energy mix is not renewable. So it's really urgent that we transform our energy system to a 100% renewable-based energy system. And 100% renewable-based, I'm going to, to, to underline that once again, because some people think we cannot do it. But the good news is that it is not impossible. We can do it. And sometimes, you know, I'm tempted to say, wir schaffen das, <laughs> uh, because we have the solutions at hand. You already uh, said in your introduction that solar is today the lowest cost energy technology. And it's so easy for everyone, for families, for businesses, for governments to take climate action with solar. You also already referred to its versatility in your introduction. It's ex extremely versatile. You can install it almost everywhere. And you can also combine it with all kinds of other technologies, storage, e-mobility. And in the end, uh, what is the most important is that we need to reduce greenhouse gases. So solar saves well over 400 million tons of CO2 annually. So for these reasons... 
a key climate solution from my perspective. And also, it's not just that we have the solution at hand. Now is also the time to deploy it. It's really about ramping it up, going further, going faster. You already said in your introduction, but pace. Indeed, we need to go much faster. We see a very positive growth already today. So in, in 2020, last year, we had this incredible year where despite COVID, solar has shown an incredible resilience. We have been growing by 11% in Europe, the second best year ever in solar history, in EU solar history. And apart from, from, from these figures, we also see all of a sudden major institutions like the International Energy Agency in their analysis, revealing that solar will become the largest power source in Europe. So that's a game changer, uh, an organization which has been really very much driven by fossils uh, in the past, all of a sudden saying solar will become the king. And in terms of capacity, the largest power source in Europe by 2025. So that's an incredible uh, game changer, acknowledging that there's a huge growth. This is all encouraging, but again, going back to we need to go faster if we want to meet the 1.5 degrees Celsius target from the Paris Agreement you also have been mentioning. So now we need to roll up our sleeves, really, literally, get to work, install solar on every new roof, install solar, solar farms on former coal mine sites in order to also facilitate a just transition and also put floating solar on artificial hydro reservoirs, a huge potential in order to make it a solar decade. And PACE, you know, we, we, we've both mentioned it several times now, the solutions are there and indeed the, the roadmap forward seems to be there but it's it's the speed at which it's happening and effectively we are on a on a ticking clock which as we just discussed has you know broadly been defined as as this decade to get on track to 1.5 when we look at where the renewable energy transition has come from you know the pace of progress is impressive and you mentioned yourself 2020 despite the pandemic was a record year for renewable deployment in Europe but when we look at where we need to get to decarbonization to limit the worst effects of climate change is estimated to require a tenfold expansion in global renewable energy through to 2050 and if the EU is to hit its own targets of reducing emissions by at least 55% by 2030 we're going to need to roughly double the speed of deployment that we saw in 2020 which was itself a record year so what needs to happen to speed up the transition if the solutions are there the answers are there and it's pace then how how do we speed up how do we get there Uh, indeed, there's still a number of hurdles, but let me start with putting it into perspective and again showing the huge potential. Solar today could power the world using only 0.16% of global land surface. surface. So a huge potential. Uh, so it, it, it's not just... Uh, so it's really not just, uh, you know, the growth we see and the solutions at hand, but it's also this potential we have, we have, and we have to tap into. But indeed, in reality, there is a, a number of hurdles which we have to overcome. And I, I would like to start with one, which is a lot has to do with regulation. Stable regulatory frameworks play an incredibly important role. 
you know, just to give you one example where this has played against us uh, in Europe, we have witnessed retroactive measures some time ago, uh, reducing the income for solar installations all of a sudden. And, and this has led to less of solar being installed. So we do not want to happen that again. Our main aim at Solar Power Europe is ensuring that we have the right uh, framework and with, that we also have a stable framework. And when you talk about the right framework, what stands out is uh, and one very concrete example of a major barrier we're facing today is permitting. And that's not just for solar, that's also, for example, for our wind colleagues. Permitting, meaning that we have administrative procedures which are too complex and which are too burdensome. They're not, often not digitalized. And that makes it very hard for project developers to track and monitor their applications. Uh, so we are really currently calling on the European Commission to facilitate permitting practices. This should be part of the ongoing package you mentioned, the Fit for 55, which is uh, aiming at reducing our greenhouse gas emissions by minus 55% by 2030. And there the Renewable Energy Directive is decisive. So what we want to see is draft guidelines on administrative procedures, which should highlight best practices for permitting procedures. Uh, what we are also proposing, for example, is a key performance indicator. And this should allow to monitor the performance of, of national administrative procedures. So a couple of items which could facilitate and, and speed up the permitting process. And then ambition. Ambition will be absolutely key. We need... In the end, political willingness, a higher ambition for solar uh, on the EU member state level is really the top priority for us. And there's no question, uh, I mean, most member states see solar capacities grow. We see that uh, happening on the ground. Um, most of them have also acknowledged solar in, in their national energy and climate plans um, in order to meet the 2030 targets. But... And here's the big but, but most of these deplo deployments are still not ambitious enough. And maybe coming back to, to, you know, the ambitions minus 55 by 2030, as your listeners might know, the European Commission just published it's fit for 55 package on, on the 14th of July. Uh, and, and, and funnily enough, that's not a sports program for mid-aged Europeans, as some of the media was talking about it. But it contains a detailed plan how to achieve the new climate goals. So as Solar Power Europe, we have been very, very pleased to see that the European Commission announced a 40% renewables target by 2030. So that's already more ambitious than, you know, the discussions uh, up front uh, were, were alluding to. So according to our calculations, this equals to 660 gigawatt of solar power installed by 2030. So a huge number. But also, also here, but no... Other technology is growing more than solar in Europe today. That means we can even go further. So for those who think this is already ambitious, 
Here, a, a, a little uh, caveat from my side, we can go faster. Our 100% Renewable Europe study, we did such a study a couple of months ago with the La Parenta University of Technology, LUT. And this study shows that the most cost-efficient pathway to climate neutrality is 45% renewable energy target by 2030. So not the proposed 40%, which is already good news, but it would be even more cost efficient if we would go for 45% by 2030. And this would really put us on track to deliver the 1.5 degrees Celsius Paris Agreement scenario. And this is what we as Solar Power Europe are advocating for in, in the further process. And you mentioned permitting there, and that's the not the only example of of a barriers and obstacles we see at a more kind of um, on the ground level. Do you see that there is a gap between the targets we are seeing set nationally and you know EU wide, um, and then the enabling legislation policy that's being put in place to realise that at a at a local and regional level? Is that where a lot of the, the barriers, the obstacles that exist, that are stopping the speeding up of pace that we need? I mean, indeed, EU legislation has to be implemented uh, nationally, so. The ambition of member states plays an, a very important role. What we are also asking for is that these targets going ahead are not EU-level targets, but that they are boiled down into national targets, binding national targets, because this would really help us getting the deployment of renewables and solar in particular uh, on the ground with very concrete targets. And permitting in the end is something where, you know, the European Union can give guidance. And uh, and I, I mentioned the key performance indicators. I mentioned the, the guidance we are asking for. So this is where the EU can give guidance. But in the end, these improvements have to happen at national level. It feels like you know, we need a catalyst. When you read in the media, there seems to be awareness that pace is off. We are not where we need to be, but you know, talking about it is not going to get us there. We're emerging from the pandemic. There are trillions of dollars and euros being pumped into our recovery, and the green transition needs a you know needs a shot in the arm. Um, we're all in the process of getting our own um, shots in the arm, or at least uh, two of them. Do you think COVID could be the shot in the arm that the green transition needs to speed up? Indeed, I, the the green recovery is a great opportunity to build back better, and that's what we have been advocating for a very long time. We do see that. Parts of the money are going into green technologies, going into green infrastructure, but there's still room for improving this, I would say. So what we would like to see is still more investments uh, going into, into green technologies, into infrastructure innovation, because these are the long-term benefits Europe can reap from, from COVID. Some of the member states' plans are still a little vague. Uh, so we do think there's still further room for improvement in order to really turn it into the long-term benefits we all want to see. And we're getting into detail um, around the European Green Deal. Um, how can solar help fulfill that deal? How can solar help get us there and get us there in the time that we need to get there in? We are convinced that solar will lead the transition. 
so helping us to get there, but also leading uh, in the transition, because we talked about it earlier, the versatility, the job uh, intensiveness and the popularity. I think that's also a very important point to mention that solar is the technology which is the most accepted technology also by Europeans. And that's not our figures, that's a European study. And I think the beauty of solar is really talking about acceptance that it is a it is people power it's the power of you it's the power of me solar is really democratizing energy so we've seen that firsthand we we had a campaign called uh, generation solar and you can have a look at our web page the videos are still there and then we talked with people across europe that have installed solar so for example, we visited the first solar neighborhood in Romania, in, in Bucharest, uh, more precisely, and saw how, how solar is reducing the energy bills of people there. We also visited an apple farm in Austria, in a little village called Puch in Styria, where, where by, by coincidence, by the way, I spent all my holidays when I was a child. <laughs> so where, where solar powers, the majority of the farm needs there. Uh, and I, I still watched it yesterday with, uh, with my parents who were <laughs> happy to see the people they know from our <laughs> holidays as a child. So, and, and another example is we visited the people behind We Drive Solar. So that's in the Netherlands, in Utrecht. And um, that's a car sharing scheme that drives on 100% solar power. When I talk about solar mobility, uh, I should also mention that this is really great because since solar has the highest generation capacity, which occurs during traditional working hours, it is particularly attractive for charging your car at public and commercial buildings and, and at working spaces. So just an add-on on this We Drive initiative. And to also mention, I myself moved into a house recently. So we're in the process, obviously, of installing solar panels. But I also invested earlier, much earlier on in a community scheme. It's, it's called Power for those who are interested and want to follow my example, uh, Power that's uh, in Belgium, a community scheme. And they are installing solar on the roofs of, of the school where I'm living, for example, or on other suitable buildings. So also there people can easily be part of the energy transition to make it a solar decade. So these are all examples of where it is really people in the middle of the action, the power that you and me can produce can consume and where we are part of the energy transition. And maybe to just also give you some other uh, examples on why it is so important that uh, we as solar are contributing and uh, are leading the transition. It's not just the people's power. So we can also contribute to the European Green Deal by delivering, for example, on a European industrial leadership. We want to bring back PV manufacturing to Europe, and it's a great opportunity, creating up to 4 million jobs in Europe by 2050. Solar is the most job-intensive technology, as I mentioned already. And making Europeans more energy independent uh, with solar, with renewables in general, but with solar in particular, securing our supply uh, with, with energy. And one last, and then I'm stopping, one last uh, topic I would like to mention, because it's very much talked about is renewable hydrogen. Renewable hydrogen can really be the, the game changer to deliver a climate neutral Europe. We need to see renewable hydrogen in hard to abate sectors and 
for those who don't know what hard to abate sectors is, because that's a little bit jargon we are using uh, here in Brussels, it's sectors like steel. It's sectors like aviation or maritime transport. So solar can help unlock the use of renewable hydrogen in all these sectors. And all these examples, and now I really stop, uh, show that solar is leading the change. And uh, and for us and for me in my work, this is truly inspiring. And some great examples there of the transition and the scale of that transformation. Um, we're looking at the residential sector. We're looking at the transport sector. We're looking at across CNI sector. And so often the focus is on more on the environmental transition, but it is very much an economic transition. I mean, we've mentioned jobs a few times um, now uh, and the opportunities there. And that's, I think, from my perspective, a side of the transition that perhaps doesn't get so much focus, so much of the emphasis on the environment, as rightly so, um, you might expect. But there is a huge economic transition and a huge opportunity. Um, FTSE Russell, a provider of uh, market indices and associated data, puts the value of the green economy at around US $4 trillion. The uh, International Renewable Energy Agency puts that an, a, another way. Um, they estimate the decarbonization of global energy systems could boost cumulative global GDP by almost US $100 trillion between 2020 and 2050. And also employment, the International Labour Organization puts the potential of the green transition to create 60 million jobs by 2030. So yes, the transition requires a huge investment to get us there. And there will be also a transition required in jobs and livelihoods. But the potential of that economic transition to then herald, if you like, a, you know, a new era where the economy and sustainability could be intrinsically linked. I mean, that surely has to be one of the, the biggest opportunities that we see in, in Europe as we drive forward. Indeed, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, indeed, huge investments, but uh, we reckon that Europe will be not worse off uh, after this transition. And I agree with you, it's a huge economic transition as well. You know, I've mentioned already our 100% renewable energy study where we show that a 100% renewable system is less cost intensive and, and, and will, will not cost us more, in, on the contrary, 6% less than if we would be laggards and sticking to the business of, of, uh, as usual. And I think one other thing is that it, uh, apart from the economic transition, which should provide a big boost into the economy, it's also a societal transition. Mm. Uh, and that should also not be for, uh, forgotten. And that is what uh, the Fit for 55 package the Commission just recently proposed is also uh, taking into account with their just transition they are working on. But this goes hand in hand because we feel that, for example, those areas in Europe which have been relying a lot on, on fossils, on, on mining, they have a great opportunity getting all these green jobs which we are looking for and which we are, uh, which we are forecasting in order to transform their economies so that no one is left behind. And just to give you one example, what a joint research center study, that's the European Commission's uh, kind of think tank, found out is that many of the jobs of the mining jobs uh, have very similar uh, skills needed than those which are needed for deploying solar, so installers. So this, these are these are great opportunities where indeed 
Europe can benefit, and in particular, regions can benefit, which are finding it hard to transition, and, and we, which can support also the societal transition we are looking at and making it a just transition. And, and that is fundamentally crucial and, and at the heart of, of, of the transition. It's, it has to be equitable, doesn't it? It's a, a green economy based on secure growth and development, while at the same time improving human well-being, providing good jobs, reducing inequality, tackling poverty. I mean, if 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 we make it there, and you know, every um, hope that we do, um, the European Commission heralds the realization of a paradigm shift in economic models, whereby economic gain and socioeconomic benefits become intrinsically linked. We're not there yet. We have a way to go. But is that a future you see, Valberger, where that can, can be realized? Absolutely. For me, this really goes hand in hand. And that's also the figures we see in our studies that uh, we do not have to give in, but that this ecologic transition, this transition into carbon neutral, into climate neutral 2050 also goes hand in hand with an economic transition, but an economic transition which should make us better off. So summing up and, and final thoughts, Valberga, what for you are the top three things that need to happen regarding the facilitation of a more solar in Europe to help the EU meet its targets, to help it reduce these emissions? What, what needs to happen? I mean, for sure, the most important one is ambition. We are calling for raising the share of renewable energy in the final energy demand to at least 45%. And aiming high on renewables is, as I, as I said, the most cost-effective trajectory towards uh, climate neutrality and the most consistent one with the goals we want to achieve, which is 1.5 degrees Celsius, according to the Paris Agreement. So ambition would be the first one. Then permitting. This remains a top priority for us. So we really urge for more simplification, more standardization of, of administrative procedures, because otherwise it's going too slow. And, and this will facilitate a faster deployment of solar plants and renewables in general. And if I want to have a third one, this would be really the right framework for big prosumers. And, and to do this, it is really important to remove barriers they are facing. I'm talking about uh, mid-sized self-consumption installations. So that's uh, for those who are more in the technical details, that's between 30 kilowatt and one megawatt. And, and these are typical, typically the installations we see at the commercials and industrial consumers. So they should be exempted from tendering schemes. They are completely not appropriate for small and medium corporate self-consumers and, and should be abolished in order to make it easier for these big prosumers to, to really drive the energy transition as well. So that has been three. Do you, do you still allow me one, one add-on? <laughs> Let's give you four, Valberga. I think that's only fair. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if I can, because we see a great window of opportunity in the solar growth we are witnessing uh, for PV manufacturing in Europe. We have launched the European Solar Initiative uh, just recently. The aim is, in a nutshell, to scale up the solar PV uh, industry value chain in Europe and really capture the booming European demand for solar. And that's relating to the economic transition, which should go hand in hand with the ecologic transition. So this is a great opportunity. We are aiming at establishing 20 gigawatt of PV production per year by 2025. And hopefully 
if we get it right, even more by the end of, of this decade. So with, with this initiative, the European Solar Initiative, we want to build on the momentum for EU solar manufacturing we see today, you know, with this huge demand we see. And, and we want to continue to lead the world with innovative and future-proof technologies, because this is very much what we have in Europe today. This is the competitive advantage. We have all these innovations. We have the cutting-edge technologies, the technologies of, uh, of tomorrow. So, and if we would bring that to the ground, scale up manufacturing in Europe, this was all, would also contribute with all the other three points I mentioned already uh, to make it a solar decade. And that's you know, and that's a, a great perspective on on Europe, and it sounds like an opportunity there to become a role model for the rest of the world on how to transition and lessons learned that can then be applied to other markets around the world. Is that something that you see happening that Europe can blaze a trail and and in doing so? also help the rest of the world get there as well. I think we have the ingredients in Europe and our European leader, leaders for sure also have the ambition. Uh, you might recall that Ursula von der Leyen was uh, referring to the man on the moon moment when we will be able to realize our plans to decarbonize Europe by 20, 2050. So the ambition is there. We have the ingredients now. We just have to get it on the ground and go fast and have this political willingness to also implement properly. Go fast. I think that's the message. Or go faster. <laughs> Perhaps that's, go faster. That's, that's, that's <laughs> a better message. <laughs> well, time is up on another Rethink podcast. Thanks again to Valberga for joining us. And thank you all for listening. Please check out other podcasts and content at rethink-energy.com and speak to you again soon. <laughs>